Well, those kids had good answers, didn't they? What is God like? I want to encourage you, particularly you that have kids, grandkids, children in your lives, you know, they're not going to learn about God, who God really is in the world any longer. They're not going to learn at school, not going to pick it up on television. I mean, no, that's why we do this thing called church. One of the reasons is to help train our children to understand who God is and have relationship with Him. And you bringing them to, whether it's kids' church or getting them to a camp or something, reading your Bible with them every day. My wife's doing this real cool thing. She's got an August birthday, and kids were saying, well, what do, you, what do you want for your birthday? And she said, here's what I want. I want all our family to read through the book of Proverbs together. Now, she still wants presents too, okay? But, but, but she wanted to read through the book of Proverbs together. It's 31 chapters, and then every day, let's do like a joint text message and kind of interact with it. So listen, that's putting something in your life, and I want to commend you for spiritually investing in your kids. Uh, Isaiah 55 is where I want you to go. I've been doing a series the last month or so called God Is, and it's been a biblical look at what the Bible teaches us that God's like. Uh, the nature of God, His attitudes, how He sees things. But we've been looking at it not just in some abstract theology, but how it w w applies to my everyday life. You remember last week we talked about the fact that God is a turnaround God. Then when we have trouble in our life, we can have a, a faith that God can turn things around for us. You remember we looked at Paul when he was uh, in the prison cell for doing a good thing, but he was being persecuted. Lo and behold, he's still praying, he's worshiping in God. God shakes that prison, and before you know it, something good has turned out of something that was really bad. So God's a turnaround God. Now, this morning, Isaiah 55, this will be our text. Verse 8 says this, and, and God is speaking, describing himself through the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts... Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The Message Bible says, I don't think the way you think. Can you say that with me? I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now think about that last phrase, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are, are higher than yours, which simply means that God sees things differently than we do. Uh, for example, death is a terrible thing, but in the Scripture it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. It's painful to us, but God sees it opens the door into eternity in relationship with Him. He sees things differently than we do. Uh, how many know God knows things that we don't know? Uh, every time science makes a new discovery, every time a telescope goes to a further part of the universe and what it can see, we understand more about God. God knows things that we don't know. I mean, you know, God sees a crisis. Uh, what we see as a crisis, God sees as an opportunity. Children of Israel, they're at the Red Sea. Egyptians are coming to destroy them. They're scared to death, but God sought a way to gain glory. <laughs> Moses simply pointed his rod at the Red Sea. It opens up, and a new chapter in Israel's history is being written. God sees the beginning from the end. God can look at both, but yet you and I are, are, are captured by the moment of the now. Now, there's many applications that we can make with this idea that God's thoughts are higher than mine. But here's one I want to focus on this morning. When life doesn't make sense, trust God anyway. Can you say that with me? When life doesn't make sense, trust God anyway. So this morning's message is entitled, God is Trustworthy, which simply means this. When you and I face trouble in life, you will find that God can get you through the trouble and victory can come on the other side. 
We're going to look at the life of Job. We're going to look at arguably the greatest enigma in life is why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in the world? But perhaps more importantly, what do I do when some of those bad things have come to my life? What do I do when I'm grappling with some troubles? How do I deal with it and how do I handle it? Because Job will show us unequivocally that God is a faithful God. And if we trust Him, He'll see us through to the other side. Come on, somebody give Him a big hand this morning. God is a faithful God. Let's explore it together. Job chapter 1, and I'm gonna, a little different in my presentation today. I'm going to read uh, more than I normally would. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture verses. I'm going to try to give you the book of Job in 35 minutes. So we're going to look pretty extensively at the first two chapters and then the last chapter, 42, and then I'm going to summarize about 35 chapters in the middle. We just read this in our Bible guide, so hopefully you read along with us and it'll be fresh to you. But let's look at first, first chapter, first verse. And let's understand trouble and its source. Satan brought trouble to a righteous man. Job chapter 1, there was a man whose name was Job. And I want you to listen to how God described Job. He was blameless and upright. This word blameless means he's without moral blemish. Upright that he is, uh, he's, uh, he is not deviating from God's standards or plans. Which simply means this, he was a righteous God. He did what was right. He treated people right and fairly. Uh, he was not crooked. He was not deceptive. He was an honest man. He pleased God. You couldn't point his finger at anything. You looked at his marriage. It was a good one. He was a good dad. Uh, he, was good, he was a good business person. He took care of people. This man, he took care of the poor. His life was a blameless life. He also was a man who feared God which simply means that he had great respect for God. You know what? Great re reverence for God. And lastly, he turned away from evil. Now, we live in a world today that, and oftentimes in America, the things that God calls evil, the, the America calls great. And similarly, things that America calls evil, God says that they're good. Our world's turned upside down. But yet God clearly in the Bible has revealed to us right and wrong and those things that are evil. And when Job came to an understanding of evil, he'd get away from it. How many know that's pleasing to God? Just like a husband wants to please his wife. You know, that if there's something that she likes, uh, likes for him to do, he'll do it because he wants to make her happy. And that's the picture. Job was not a guy that just lived by a bunch of commandments, but he's a guy that had a real relationship with God. He loved God and God loved him. Now listen, because of that, God blessed him. Because he was righteous and blameless, feared him. And notice it says, verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Now, ladies may not be very excited about that today, but that was a, that was a great blessing in their day to have a lot of kids. Uh, verse 3, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 uh, yoke of oxen, uh, uh, 500 decoys, then, no, 500 female donkeys. Freudian slip there. Nobody needs 500 decoys unless you hunt geese. This man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now, think about that. I'm talking, this guy was the Bill Gates. He was the top of the Fortune 500, and it all stemmed from the fact, now listen, because the way he lived his life, God blessed him. Righteous, blameless, walking with God. You will find, I could spend every weekend from now until the end of the year talking about this cause and effect relationship that God blesses uh, people that live righteously, that God gives us the ability to obtain wealth, that, you know, that God's hand is upon us for good, that God is a provider, that God is a healer, that God is a sustainer, that God is a protector. And you'll find as you look through the pages of the Bible and your life, you'll find that 99 times of 100, that causal relationship, righteousness, blameless, fearing God, produces God's blessing in your life. If you'll go by the prescription for marriage in the Bible, you'll have a happy home. 
I've been married over 30 years. We've never had an affair. I've never wanted another woman. My wife is my wife. Come on. You understand what I'm saying? Kids ended up serving God. Life is just good. Sleep good at night. But every once in a while, Satan is able to get in. And that's what happens in the book of Job as we see what happens now. Job is a good guy, and God blesses him. But verse 8 there's a picture in heaven that's not uh, fabricated mythology. I believe it literally happened. The angels go and they have a conversation with God. Angels that walk the earth, as the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches Satan came before the throne of God. You know, Satan is not in hell now. The Bible says he is called the God with a little g of this world. He roams this earth. He's like a roaring lion seeking to devour people. Well, he came before God, and here's what he said. Our, our, our God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? Now look at verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Now, now listen, Job is, or, or Satan is going to question Job's motives for serving God. What he's going to say is, uh, Job serves you because you give him all these blessings. Not because he loves you, but he does it because of what you give him. And then he's also going to question God's integrity, which basically is saying, God, you've got to buy people's favor for them to follow you. I suggest to you that this deals with the, the, the biggest issue of humanity, of why this whole thing called earth even exists, why God has called out a people, why some people have believed and some people have rejected him. From Genesis forward to the book of Revelation, God is calling out a people, a bride, who choose to love him. Come on, Adam and Eve gave us the choice. Now we know the difference between right and wrong, God's ways and the other way. And when we choose God, not for what He does, but because of who He is, come on, we'll love Him for all eternity. Just as, just as a parent, a parent, you know, doesn't want your kid to just, Oh, Dad, I love you. Remember Bill Cosby? How much money you want? No parent wants that. What the parent wants is you to just sit in your lap and say, What do you want, babe? Nothing, I just want to love you. Every parent, God wants that from us. So Job, so Satan is saying, if you take all Job's stuff away, listen to what it says. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord, uh, Job, uh, verse 10, here's the blessing. You've put a hedge around him, that is, of protection, a fence, of all he has. You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased. All this is blessing. But if you stretch out your hand and touch all he has, in other words, take his stuff, take his wealth, he'll curse you to your face. Now, remember what I told you, the scripture, our text, God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Listen to this next verse. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all he has is in your hand. Only against him don't stretch out your hand. In other words, you can take the stuff, but don't touch his physical body. I don't understand that. I don't understand why God allowed that. Nor do I understand why my wife is afflicted with, uh, was afflicted with cancer. I don't understand why she had to go through that valley. When we prayed, believed God, confessed, fasted. When I look on the pages of the Scripture and I see God's healing virtue, I believe He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As a believer, I lay my hands on the sick and they'll recover. Come on. But then the person you love the most is grappling with this great disease. How do you explain all this? Let me tell you very quickly, and this will help you as a foundation for understanding all of life. I want you to say this with me. God good, Satan bad. God good, Satan bad. Now, that's simplistic, but it's powerfully true. Now, I want you to see as we kind of look through this page what happened. Right after this verse, and let me just summarize what happens next. Satan goes to God, asks permission to go and afflict Job, and God says yes. He said you can do it. 
At that moment of time, the Sabians, they were a group of people. They attacked, I believe, from the north. They stole his oxen, killed all his servants. A lightning storm starts afire, likely, kills all the sheep. The Sabians come from the south. Uh, I'm sorry, the Chaldeans stole all of his camels. And then, tragedy of all, a windstorm comes, a tornado comes. All the kids are having a party at their house, birthday party, whatever the case. Kids are there, grandparents are there. A tornado blows the house down, kills every one of them. In a moment of time, life was good and now it's bad. Prior to that, listen, everything was good. They're having a party. They're getting together. They're working. Grandbabies are there. Come on, teenagers are there. You know, everybody's chariots parked in front of the house. The four-wheelers are there. But God good, Satan bad, and in a moment they're all dead. Now, here's this big question. Can I still trust God when something bad happens? Can I, why did this happen? See, Job didn't see what we saw. You don't, I don't see the end of Linnell's cancer. I can tell you this. Last week she said, you know, she does a blog that helps people about, with her life story. Last week she had 1,500 people from around the world reading that, gaining encouragement. I've never had 1,500 people read anything that I've ever said. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you get a dozen likes on Facebook, you feel pretty good about yourself, right? I mean, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Somehow, though... If you can trust God in the middle of the difficulties, you'll find that God will be faithful on the other side. But here's the question. What do you do when these bad things come in life? Let's keep going. Uh, verse 20, here's how Job responded. Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. And what did he do? Yeah, now, these outward signs, the head, the robe, falling to the ground, they're all acts of contrition. They're all acts of shock. It's kind of a, a cultural thing. If you go to a funeral, we typically wear black in America, and that's traditional that we wear. Well, these were cultural things that you would do when you were in grief and sadness and, and anger and, and contrition before God. But he worshipped, and he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, which means I didn't bring any money into this world. I didn't bring any four-wheelers. I'm not taking any of it out with me. I'm not taking anything out. And then he said this, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then this great epitaph, uh, his blamelessness, in all this, Job didn't sin or charge God with wrong. And, and you know, in essence, what happened is that, is that Satan said, if he took this stuff away, Job would curse you. But listen now, Job's responses showed that Satan was wrong. And sometimes you have to go through things, and it was important for God for this choice to be made. And he allowed that to happen. Now, here's a lesson for us right now. Job's devotion to God stayed strong in the midst of trouble. Job not only believed, but Job continued to live out his Christian faith in the middle of the storm. How many know if Job can do it, you guys can do it too? Amen. Job's devastating situation, nothing like what you and I face sometimes and throw our hands up. But let's, let's look further. Now, Jewish tradition, let me tell you just a little bit about Job. Job was not a, a, a Jew, but yet he was what we would call in the New Testament a God-fearer. He was a Gentile man. Likely he was alive during the time of the patriarchs. If you think back Old Testament, Abraham, Jacob, uh, 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 Isaac, those guys, that time of life is where he lived. Now, Jewish uh, tradition suggests that Job, or, or believes that Job, was about 70 years old when this story begins. And we'll leap ahead to the last chapter, and we'll see the Bible tells us that Job lived another 140 years. If you go back and look at ancient genealogies, you see they live much longer than we, than we do today. But think about that, 70 to 140. Now, the book of Job is not decades of his life. 
It's a 42-chapter book. I've got to tell you, sometimes it's hard to read that much uh, a, a long book. But that didn't happen for a long time. I want you to think in terms of weeks rather than years and decades that this difficulty came to him. We don't know how long, for example, between chapter 1 and 2. Because Satan didn't just attack Job once, he came and attacked him again. Chapter 2, verse 7 is where I'll read. But the same scenario is there. Angels are talking to God in heaven. Satan is there. And the question comes again about Job, still righteous and blameless. And Satan basically said this. Satan said, if you touch his health, he'll curse you. So now, verse 7, again, I don't understand this. God's ways are higher than my ways, but God is still... And Satan is... Let's see what happens. Satan goes from the presence of the Lord, and who struck Job with loathsome sores? Satan did. Who struck my wife with cancer? Yeah, yeah. He struck uh, him with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Now think about this. There's another, uh, I, there were uh, several medical studies and reports that were done on the types of diseases, and there were several with long words. But, but let me give you how Job described himself throughout the chapter. No scriptures here. Let me just give you some words of his skin condition. Job said he had inflamed ulcerous sores, itching with no Benadryl, loss of appetite, depression. I can understand that. Uh, worms in the boils. I want you to imagine a, this is gross, but a huge zit, okay, this boil. And, and see, Job used to be a, a, an honored man. He used to sit in the gate and judge people. He was, he was, I mean, he was a big guy. But now he's with the beggars. If you had skin disease, you know, you would often have to go outside of the camp. So now he's sitting with the beggars with a broken piece of pottery. Come on. It's like you try to get a splinter. Well, like trying to, to, to just uh, running sores. Difficulty breathing, foul breath. He said no one would even be near him. He lost weight, continual pain, no hydrocordone, peeling skin, fever. Now, with all this going on, I want you to think about this verse 9, what his wife said. We forget sometimes that Mrs. Job was also in the story. And we forget sometimes because she lost her faith. Those were her children that died. Listen, Job wasn't giving birth to those kids. His wife did. And she didn't have an epidural. Uh, also, it was Miss Job's debit card that wouldn't work, come on, when all his camels and everything was taken. So this poor girl was suffering right alongside her husband. Notice verse 10. And isn't it interesting that oftentimes you will be suffering sometimes with someone else simply because you're in relationship and the Satan attacks them and, and you're affected by it. Or God could be disciplining or judging them. How about Jonah on the ship? <laughs> You're an innocent sailor. But because Jonah's under the, under the pressure of disobedience, they're the ones in the storm as well. But look, look further. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Isn't that what Satan said he wanted to happen? Now, isn't it interesting how now the person closest to him is trying to get him to agree and do what Satan wants him to do? So Job is all alone. What he needs is encouragement, and what he gets is his wife's bitterness and anger. Now this is where this, this, is where this man is, 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 is living. He's still trusting, because the Bible goes on to say, He said to her, You speak as a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not evil? 
Job's theology, see, Job couldn't see what was going on. Our, his thoughts are higher than ours. Job didn't understand that Satan was behind this, but he did understand that God was powerful and sovereign. He didn't understand, but he didn't sin with his lips. Now, I'm going to jump forwards a little bit. After these first couple chapters, everything changes. Job's friends come to him. When Job's friends came to him, and this was the tradition in, in the Near East at the time, when you would come with someone that was grieving, nobody would say a word until the suffering person spoke. And it was so bad, the Bible says Job didn't say a word for seven days. It is a real stretch for me to be quiet for four hours turkey hunting. But seven days, no words. No Facebook, no text messages, no nothing sitting there. And then you know what Job said after the seven days? He said, I wish I wasn't even born. I wish I was dead. And now Job entered into what you and I entered into in the depth of troubles as he began to scratch his head. Come on and question what was going on. Now, we're going to come back to that. Let me tell you what his friend said, and I'll give you two examples. His first friend, he had three that came, and then another one showed up. Job 4, verse 8. He said, as I have observed, this is the friend telling Job, and we're trying to figure out why it happened. Because isn't that what we do when we look at somebody's life that's in trouble? And we say, why is this going on? What did they do wrong? As I've observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. The inference is, Job you, Job, you must have been evil. You must be looking at pornography on the side, Job. Something's got to be going on. Verse 9, at the blast of God's anger, there are no more, which means God's angry at you, Job. God called him blameless and upright. But what people saw, because their thoughts are not God's thoughts, they don't see what God sees. They said, Job, you must be sinning. Bildad, his friend, chapter 8, verse 6, if you are pure and upright, assuming, Job, that you're not, even now, God will rouse Himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Such is the destiny of all who forget God, so perishes the hope of the godless. So now his friends, how many know friends like that? You, you don't need enemies. So these friends have basically said, Job, you're godless, you're evil, you're sinning. Here's their friend's theology. You do good things, good things happen. You do bad things, bad things happen. Bad things are happening, so Job is bad. But they didn't see. Come on. And can I tell you, 99% of the time, what they thought was correct. Good people are blessed, but bad people ultimately are not. But you look around the world today, you may be living for God, investing in eternity and all that, and your friends that don't walk with Jesus have a bigger house than you do, a bigger car, more money in the bank. Sooner or later, though, it comes to an end. Telling you, you got to be careful how big your God box is because this deal with Job, they just looked at it and said, because bad things are happening, you must be bad. It's not true. Satan is in this, but all the while, Job is... How many know when your, friend, when your wife and your best friends have said, you must be bad, something's wrong with you, give up on God? How many know this question mark gets bigger and bigger and bigger? Can I still trust God? Will I still read my Bible? Will I still pray? Will I worship God when nothing's going right? Will I still give even though I've gone bankrupt? See, this is the stuff all of us battle with. Now, these next 35 chapters are basically a dialogue between Job and his friends. They accuse Job and Job defends himself and blah, blah, all along. But all the while, something else is, is, is going on. Job, Job, in those, as I said... After chapter 2, he wants to die. 
He wishes he hadn't been born. He questioned God. And he even accused God. He, 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 many, many verses about him living a just life. But this was happening, and I don't understand why. And you know what? God didn't boot him out of the club because he had a question. If you look in the Bible, you'll find David, a man after God's own heart. You look at the Psalms, and David multiple times says, why? Do, do you know anyone that was on a cross and when they were being crucified, what did he say? My God, my God. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? So God's not out to beat us up when we have questions. But the question is, will we still trust him? Now, I want to take it up a notch as well. When, 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 when somebody's going through a difficult and they're beat down, you know, I'm real merciful and kind and all. I just want to kind of pick them up and kind of help them and kind of understand the way that things are going. But I want you to see the challenge that God brought to Job. I wish I had time to read these chapters, but we don't. After the friends, 35 chapters of attack, God speaks to Job in two chapters. And basically, here's what God says. Job, he didn't say these words, but my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than yours. Job, look up in the skies. Did you make those stars? Job, look at the thunderstorm. Did you cause the rain to come to the earth? He says, Job, look at the oceans and their great waves. Are you behind the force of their power? He said, Job, look at the great, sea, the, the great sea creatures and all this. And God is describing the glory of his wonder. And Job is coming to the realization that God is bigger than me, that something else is going on. Now let's read what Job said back to God in Job 42, the last chapter of the book. Job then replies to the Lord, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. It's like... When, when he was beaten down, now he still got all the sores and all the problems, but he says, God, you're a big God and you can do anything. It's as if Job still held on to his faith in the most difficult times of his life. But notice verse 3, and now Job is repeating a question that God asked. He said, you God asked me, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? So God is saying, Job, your questions and your defenses are ignorant compared to my wisdom because you don't know everything that's going on. God says, Job said, it's me. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. How could a man in such agony talk about God's wonderful ways? Can I tell you, he had a vital relationship with God and he didn't let go of faith, come on, when difficulties came along. It was hard, he had questions, but he tied a knot in the end of his rope so he could hang on. I mean, out of work for six months, waiting, where's the door going to open, when's something going to happen, I'm still going to hold on because God is still a good God. Because the voices abound, curse God and die, but each person has to say, I'll hold on or not. Now, and look at verse 5. This is, this is very intriguing to me. I had only heard about you before. Now, now, now didn't it say that Job was righteous and blameless? Feared God, shunned evil. But it's like I only heard about you for. Now I've seen you with my own eyes. It, it's like this trouble opened a door into a depth of relationship with God that he had never known possible before. I'm telling you, I'm seeing things in my wife that I don't have. Because she's walking with God through the valley of the shadow of death. That's right. God is with me. 
I only heard about you before, but now I've seen you. And look at verse 6. I take back everything I said. <laughs> and now I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Now this, I, I'm telling you, sometimes the Bible asks us to do things that, you know, are hard. Forgive those who sin against you. Turn the other cheek. Re leave vengeance to me. It's like God wants a response of maturity when what we'd like to do is punch somebody's lights out. What, what, what we'd like to do is just curl up in the corner and, and sit there. But God says, look, I'm, I want you, I'm going to pull you up a notch. And here's what I want you to see. His willingness to keep going with God as a mature believer opened the door to his greater blessing. Now look, if you had 35 chapters of your friends saying you are a dirty dog and all this is your fault, the last thing you'd want to do is pray for your... Well, look, look let's look, read further. When did all this change? Verse 10, when Job prayed for his friends, I can imagine his prayer, God cut their heads off. Put them on a camel and drive them in the wilderness five days and leave them in the sand. No. Now, God rebuked the friends in just a couple chapters, but it was after God was talking to Job. It's like their perspective was so far off. God just says, be quiet just a minute. I'll deal with you in a little bit. But when Job prayed for his friends, I mean, it's just like grace is just flowing all out of this. And God said, okay, devil, we've about had enough of this stuff. Because God, good, Satan, evil, he's bad. Look what happens next. The Bible says he prayed for his friend. The Lord restored his fortunes. He restored him, though. Listen when he took that next step spiritually and responded as a godly man. The Lord restored his fortune. In fact, God gave him twice as much as before. How many would like to have twice as much as you have now? Let me see your hand. How many would like to go through this to get it? Not me. <laughs> twice as much as he had before. And notice as it keeps going. It said, it, it, uh, the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life uh, more than in the beginning. Twice as blessed after some period of time, days, weeks, after some period of time, God blessed him twice as much as he had before. Uh, and, and if we read further, thousands of sheep, camel, oxen, ten more children. His, wife, his, his children, his daughters were the most beautiful girls on the planet. And he goes on to say this, verse 17, Then he died, not a man who was beaten up by trouble, but an old man who lived a long, full life life. He lived 140 years after that. Here's what Jewish tradition, 70 when it all started, he lived twice as many years after that, 70, 140. He started out, come on, 10 kids. Now listen, when Satan attacks you, you may bear the scar for life. Those 10 kids did not get reincarnated. My wife, listen, will carry the, 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 the scar of her surgery for her life. But I'm telling you, in the middle of the scar, God can come back and recreate Amen. And God gave him 10 more kids, multiplied the stuff that he had because he is a good God. And I'm telling you today, friends, when questions are in life, you can trust God when life doesn't make sense. Come on, give him a big hand. He's worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord. Hey, I'm going to wrap up with this and then we'll have a chance to pray for you because I know a lot of you have some trouble in your life. I know that today's message was not just encouragement and something kind of out there. I know for many of you today, you're living through something right now. 
And there may be a, a, this may be a perfect opportunity for you to respond to God today in just a moment in prayer. We'd love to be able to pray for you. Let me mention, too, a lot of folks here this morning, we got more room in our first service on Sunday at 9 or Saturday night as well. If you want to check that out, same message and kid stuff and everything else. But let me close with this thought with you. I told you earlier that my wife is, is doing, having our family read through the book of Proverbs. Well, Proverbs chapter 3, probably my favorite verse in the Bible. You know it, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Say it with me. With all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Remember, why don't you lean to your own way of figuring it out? Because his ways are higher than mine and his thoughts are higher than mine. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths or he'll make them straight. And acknowledgement may simply be this. <laughs> I'm still here. I don't like it, but I still believe. I'll tell you a little story and I'm going to close. And I came here 23, 24 years ago. Uh, our church was not a happy place. It was a mess. I mean, it was divided and... and, and financial problems and lawyer problems and just, I mean, on down the line. And I'm thinking, I'm 33 years old. I'm way over my head, and I'm, I'm laying in bed for a number of years, and I, I can just find myself. I, I sure wish I was in Nashville. I, I sure wish, Tennessee, I wish I was somewhere else. I wish I was doing something else because I'm having to deal with some problems that I didn't cause. And you know what? It's kind of like the Lord said to me, when you're not in control, I'm in control. And even if life doesn't make sense to you, it makes sense to me. And if you'll just keep trusting me, I'll work all things together for good. Come on, because I'm the God who's in control. Your job is to trust me. Your job is to respond maturely. And my job is to restore you and put more in your hands. And I'm telling you, friend, it works for me. It's working for my wife, and it'll work for you. God is trustworthy. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Stand to your feet. We're going to have a worship song and pray and then, and then go home today. Save me and I will be Him. Reach out to heaven with me. Let it be your declaration today. Say, forever he is. No man can pluck me out of his hand. He who began the good work will complete it. Forever. Throughout eternity. Give him praise. It was Job's choice. And I will give you praise. To you by hands I raise. And I release my pride. A living sacrifice. To you are my delight. Here's the key. To you I give my life. To you I give my life. That's the key. That's what Job did. And Job didn't give it and take it back. He gave it gave it and kept giving it and Lord that's what we want to do we want to stay in relationship with you through the good times and Lord if we go through a valley of the shadow of death our confidence is you are with us and because you're with us we're not going to live give the enemy Lord an opportunity to destroy us I want you to pray for yourself right now and say let this truth Lord 
get deeply in my life. Don't let it be easily forgotten, but let it work into the fabric of my life that when life doesn't make sense, I can still trust you. Because you see what I don't see. Your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. And you're a good God. And Satan is evil. And you'll help me get to the other side. And I'm going to continue to trust you. So we just say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Would you just say that? Welcome. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I surrender my life afresh to you. I, I, I don't want to be a come and go Christian. But I want to be somebody that walks with God seven days a week. But I can't do it on my own. I need you to help me. I love you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I want to pray for particularly those people today that are in trouble. People that are in the midst of a struggle now. That we're going to pray and believe that great grace is going to come to them. That great courage, that great strength. That they're going to find strength to mount up with wings like an eagle. So they can run and not grow weary and, and walk and not faint. We're going to close with a personal opportunity for prayer for you. Maybe you're here today and maybe this message really has resonated with you because maybe you're in trouble. Maybe you're finding it a little difficult to trust God in the trouble. Maybe it's just getting hard. Can I tell you, if it is, friend, you're just like me and you're just like Job and every other person in this room. And we'd like to join our faith with yours for God to help you be strong. See, there's something significant, not just in the words that are said in prayer, but by coming and letting someone talk to God with you. Something powerful that can happen as our will becomes yielded to God. We'd be honored to, to pray with you. Biggest prayer thing you could pray for right now, though, is maybe you're here today and you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've come to a place you realize religion is not just some knowledge in my head. It's not just church every once in a while. But what Jesus wants is a personal relationship. Jesus is looking for followers, not just for people that think about him sometimes. And maybe you need to commit your life to Christ. Maybe you're like me. And I was raised in church. Grateful mom made me go. But I'm telling you, it was in my head what little I knew. And I never committed my life. And I heard someone basically say one day what I'm telling you is that if you will surrender your life to Christ, if you will invite Jesus to forgive you and then give him your life and try to live for him each day, Jesus Christ will change your life. My friend, it happened to me and it can happen to you. I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me right now. I need to give my life to Christ. Some that are here today that have walked with God in the past but gotten away from God and you felt God's presence in this service today and, and you want to commit your life to Christ, we'd love to pray for you. If that's you this morning and saying, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God now, would you pray for me? Lift your hand real quickly this morning. Do it quickly this morning. Say, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. Anyone this morning, I want to put my care, my life in His hands. All right, praise the Lord. Okay, I, it's hard to see. But okay, yeah, praise the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ today. Listen, we will pray for you and anyone here that's in trouble wanting God's help. Pastor Nick, why don't you sing one last time? And our prayer team is going to come to the altar right now. And I want you that need prayer right now, come let us pray. You want spiritual strength to face tomorrow, you come let us pray. You that made a step to Christ today, come let us pray for you. We want to pray for you. We want to give you something to help you in your spiritual life. Come on, let us pray for you this morning. Praise the Lord. God's a good God. Come let Him help you. Let Him help you get victory when trouble comes. Come let Him help you today. Come join your faith with someone this morning. He's a prayer answering God.
He'll see you through it. I love you very much. Sing it one last time. And I will give you praise.